Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to give them the tools to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. We're really going to have a very interesting conversation today because my guest has done a multitude of extremely interesting things from very small startup businesses to some of the largest corporations in the world, and he's been very successful at all of those, so we're really going to pick his brain. But we do also want to talk about one of his newest ventures, which is an online publishing um, organization. So please join me in welcoming Wade Franson to our program. Hi, Deb. Thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to this. Great. Well, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. So Wade is the founder of Something or Other Publishing, a groundbreaking publishing company that has re-envisioned the relationship between author and publisher in the age of the Internet and social media. Inputs into this business model have come from his experience as a management consultant, working with some of the very large companies, as well as having been co-founder of GoHuman.com. The model is called Author Driven Publishing, and it combines the best of the self-publishing phenomenon with the benefits of traditional publishing, while leveraging advances in technology and social media to initiate the crowdsourcing of readers and author platform building long before the book is even published. As a result, they've had a string of number one rated hot new releases on Amazon. Now, here's Wade's background, and this is very interesting. Wade's unique life began with a domestic kidnapping in which he was smuggled out of the country. The ensuing court battle eventually went to the Supreme Court of Sweden. Subsequent life situations and the psychological impact led him to study theology and become a Christian minister working behind the Iron Curtain. He's actually written a book about that called The People of the Sign. After resigning from his full-time role in the ministry, Wade moved to the corporate world. And he has done, as I mentioned, several great ventures, a lot in the financial realm, but he's worked with some of the largest corporations in the world. He also, as we mentioned, formed a partnership to acquire the assets of GoHuman.com in an attempt to relaunch GoHuman.com as a radically different marketplace destined to change the way the world works. Wade used the lessons learned in founding Something or Other Publishing, which is a project he is building in his spare time with a distributed team in the U.S., India, and the Philippines. In order to obtain the funds needed to retain control as sole owner of this venture, Wade serves as the vendor relationship manager and negotiator for Kohl's department stores, running technology RFPs, negotiating contracts, and establishing strategic relationships for the corporation and its thousand-plus big-box retail outlets. Holy cow, Wade! Like I said, very, very interesting. Thank you, Deb. And it is when I look back at... uh all the events. Um, I, I recall the moment I decided I needed to write down my story, and it was when <clears throat> I was living in Europe, and uh, I was. I also speak several different languages because of the the kidnapping, Sweden, and later studying German and French and Russian. Um, I was in a couple of conversations over a period of six months where the people I were ta- was talking to began to doubt the truth of what I was saying because it just seemed so unusual that one person would have done this and that and this other thing. Mm-hmm. So 
I had to write it all down, and uh, it really is an unusual life, but I think that gives me this unique perspective to understand the situation on all sides of the table. It makes me an effective negotiator in my day job with Coles, mm-hmm. uh, but also allows me to tackle the thorny problem of how to create a publishing company in the modern era that has the best of the old world while forging forward into the new. Right. Well, and let's talk about the publishing company, which, again, is called Something <coughs> or Other Publishing. And it is, it's, it's a unique way to do things. But let's talk about how it's different from, you know, that other big guy called Amazon and CreateSpace. You know, why is something or other publishing so interesting? So, uh, first of all, we can call it SOUP, which is what we call it internally, <laughs> the, the acronym, right? Something or other publishing. And there's a reason for that. It is kind of a SOUP. You know, we talk about from soup to nuts mm-hmm. uh, in business. Um, and I talk about from fog to soup, right? How do you take these swirling vapors and even turn them into soup, much less than going from soup to nuts? And those are terms maybe familiar to the business world. Um, <clears throat> so Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos uh, formed Amazon with the idea in mind of selling books, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a goal of ours. Um, but we we have to take the authors who have not yet necessarily even written that book okay. and who in today's world, because of Amazon, um, have to become the CEO of their own book. The reason self-publishing exploded is because um, there are far more authors who are willing to create a niche for themselves than that which the big houses can provide for right. them. So, so Amazon disrupted a whole number of things. Um, you know, we're kind of filling in the cracks there, but as Amazon has become huge, we do have a David and Goliath story. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some mm-hmm. of our internal discussions, we have the fantasy of actually in some way competing with Amazon, at least in the book space. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what makes us different is this. Uh, some in the publishing world may have may be familiar with some, some lawsuits and some challenges over the last few years with Amazon and anti-trust um, practices against certain publishing houses because they are so dominant that one decision on their part can adversely affect an entire company. Right. <clears throat> and so, the, you know, if they sneeze, uh, somebody else can be crushed, whether they intend it or not. So I'm not here to bash mm-hmm. Amazon. Um, but uh, we work with the authors to make sure that we're fully aligned with our success. With, with their success. We do not actually achieve success unlike, unless we make the author successful. Okay. So we take, okay. them, we take them at the point where they're wanting to publish a book. Now, we can, we can work with authors who have already published books, and we do, but our model was designed to take that person who says, you know, I, w- I want to publish this book, I'm not done with it yet, and I'm looking at my options. We help them crowdsource the readers before that book ever gets published. We help them build enough of a fan base so that when they actually publish the book, they have some control and they achieve success. They don't sink like a rock, like all the other, you know, 90 X percent of books Mm -hmm. that are published each year. Amazon does not care at all. They'll put up millions and millions of books and the ones that sell great and the ones that don't fine. And what I've seen over time, even in the time we've been in this business is Amazon is increasingly doing less and less for the little guy Mm -hmm. and increasingly focusing more and more on those areas that are going to actually make money for them. So their interests were never perfectly aligned with the authors, the, the, the technology and the deployment of their, of their company model certainly provided an opportunity in a neutral way, the way the Internet provides opportunity. 
but they weren't aligned with the success of an individual author the way right. we are. And as they grow and they have to prove, uh, you know, a better bottom line and they actually have to start posting a profit, they are consistently now making decisions that make it harder and harder for the individual author to succeed. And power is once again aggregating in the hands of those companies that are larger. Right. That's what makes us different from Amazon in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, as you mentioned, it's not that Amazon is doing anything wrong. They have diversified. You know, obviously, there's there have been some, some big acquisitions that they have made. You know, there there's so many things. And so they have changed from being that online bookseller. Um, yes, that is still, you know, a, a good chunk of what they do. I don't even know what the percent, percentage is anymore. But they really don't care about the little guy. And it's not a slight on the little guy. It's just they don't have time for it, and they can make their money elsewhere. And so that's what I love about your company, Soup. Oh, I love that we can shorten that. Um, because you do work with the first-time publishers, the, the people who are thinking, do I even have a book in me, and what the heck do I do? Um, you know, and, and I think that's really great for our listeners because so many of them do have those books in their head, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. But that's as far as they get. They think, oh, my gosh, I, I could write a book, but. And then they go on with, with everything else. So walk us through the process as to how someone would, you know, really start and, and get a book out there. So um, for those who look at our website, it's soupllc.com, mm-hmm. S-O-O-P-L-L-C.com. Um, <clears throat> you'll immediately see our logo. And that logo... Um, and I'll share a secret. Your listeners now will get the answer to this question that I always ask everybody. I ask everybody I meet, what does this logo mean to you? What is it? Oh, and I have I'm looking ne- at it and I'm not yes. sure. Well, I have never to this day heard one person come up with the same answer as anybody else. So I'll ask you, Deb, what does that logo? What is it? What is it? What is that logo? And I'll tell you, before you answer, there is no wrong answer, but guess what? There is actually a right answer. (laughs) Ah, You know, it's it's almost like a goldfish to me, you know, know, a goldfish in a moon or something like that. (laughs) You know, it's it's very cute. And and I love this because obviously it gets people talking about it. Well, and, you know, I've I've actually heard various versions of moon as part of it, but I've Mm -hmm. never, ever heard goldfish before. So once again... Once again, it's unique. And that's the point. It is special. Everybody views this differently. And your perspective, the logo is, is in fact, desi- I, I, I didn't, I can't say, you know, how the designer, why he came up. It was, it was totally, it was a friend of mine who's a graphic artist mm-hmm. who, who basically from knowing me and knowing what I was doing, he came up with that. I don't know what was in his head, but I loved it immediately because it has that ability to allow everybody to have a perspective that's different. Mm-hmm. And that perspective is equally valid. So when I say there's no wrong answer, I really mean it. Right. And the, it, fact that, the fact that there is a right answer is kind of a joke. Here's the right answer for you and your listeners. It is literally something or other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's something or other. That's what it is. What is it? It's something or other. Yeah, and we don't know. 
it's <laughs> and whatever whatever you think it is that's what it is and so the point is you have a book in you you have a unique perspective and if you could write down that unique perspective as your gift to the world mm-hmm. we would want to make sure that your unique perspective, your message, the one thing that you really want to get out there. We're going to package that up and make it as beautiful and as perfect as it could be. And we're going to have it stand next to any other high quality book from any other company on the bookshelf. And it's going to meet the standards of excellence Mm -hmm. that allows you to stand tall and proud with your perspective. So that's part of our vision DNA. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now how does that work? Well, for that to work, there's got to be a lot of education, but people don't really like necessarily education. It's like if you, history is so important, but who really liked history in school? Very few right. people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, without history, we're doomed to repeat the mistakes of before. Mm-hmm. So we've built education in and, and, and how we did it. I won't go into all the ins and outs because I could talk for hours and we don't have much time. But <clears throat> what I did was. I said the, the first thing is you want to sell your book in the end. So so from you know Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, start with the end in mind. What's the end in mind? We want it to be a number one uh, rated hot new release on Amazon. We want the book to actually sell. Mm-hmm. So from day one, you need to start thinking about who's going to buy this book and not just thinking about it in a vague, you know, sort of, oh, my target market is and then go hire a consultant and spend, you know, 50 50000 or $500,000 trying to brand your book and put up billboards and t- whatever it is that you'd have to spend money on to actually sell it. Mm-hmm. What can you do as an individual using social media and everything available to us today? So we created a place for you to gather votes for your book. But a vote is not a like. Mm-hmm. A vote is somebody actually saying, I would be interested in buying this book and here's my name first and last mm-hmm. and my email address. Ah, when we get that, um, they receive responses saying, thank you for voting, which in our model means you're actually interested in the book and including us mailing you with an offer to buy it. It's not a commitment to buy, right. but you're signing up for our list. And if that is not your intent, let us know and we will remove your vote. And we mm-hmm. do. So by the time somebody publishes with us, they go through this series of gathering votes. You know, that's how we get those number one rated hot new releases because we've gathered the people that said they would buy it. It's, mm-hmm. So it's a platform building opportunity. But as far as the education goes, when you get to 50 votes and then 150 votes and then 300 votes, we send you a homework assignment and a self-help guide that walks you through the information that you need on three key points. Your... Um, your product, which is the book itself, not just the writing of it, but everything else that goes along with that high-quality product of excellence, including you know book design and and uh, editing and proofreading and cover design and every you know the Library of Congress number, everything you need to know about it. Um, whether you end up publishing with us or not, and that's mm-hmm. important. We're not locking you into any contract with us. Okay. We're letting you use our platform to build what you might do something different with going forward. Mm-hmm. So that's product. The other one is is platform. So, you know, we're giving you lots of hand on, hands-on opportunities to build your platform, blogging opportunities, connecting you with all kinds of people. And then promotion. You know, if you can't sell your book in today's age, don't expect me to. If you can't get your right. brother to buy it. You can't sell you your can, own stuff. <laughs> if you can't get your, you know, your high school creative writing teacher to buy it, you know, if you can't get your classmates to buy it, if you can't get your grandmother to be out flogging it for you or your son, right? Um, Don't expect us to help you because in today's world, that 
no longer exists. It's a fantasy for all but a few elite people who, generally speaking, already have that credibility from before. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the exception, you know, the J.K. Rawlings, who was, you know, rejected a number of times, but eventually broke through. But Mm -hmm. they're the exception, not the rule. So that's basically how the model works when you get to through all these homework assignments and they're graded and you have to pass them and you get feedback. By the time we publish you, you've proven that you have what it takes to go the distance. This is a marathon, not a sprint. We'll be investing in you to continue your path towards being a successful author. Right. So you mentioned that you're working with people. What if somebody comes to you and you think, ugh, that's a horrible idea for a book? We don't think that. We would never think that. (laughs) But we do have a standard which says we will not publish anything that we deem to be pornography or intentionally offensive. Okay. So if we think your intent is to offend, Mm -hmm. however however you represent that, you know, oh, no, it's not. It's art. Right. If we think it's either pornography or intentionally offensive, we won't publish it. Okay. If, it, if it's if it's not that, we respect your opinion and we we see the beauty. It's namaste for those who do yoga. The, mm-hmm. the light in me salutes the light in you right. and honors your creative urge. Right. So right. now it might actually be really bad. In terms of in terms of it's not properly packaged, it's not properly expressed, it's not properly curated or weeded or whatever. Um, but that's where you know the the process comes in, and that will play itself out over time. Right. When right. when people turn in the homework assignment and the words are all misspelled mm-hmm. in their homework assignment, we know that that person is probably not going to end up being successful in our model, but we don't immediately shut them down. We just probably don't pass the homework assignment. We send it back and ask them to resubmit it. Right. Well, and it's like we said, it's not a bad idea. It just needs repackaged, um, you know, and, and so that, that it becomes that good idea. And, and, you know, for one person, you know, selling 10 copies of their book might be the ultimate fantasy. Somebody else wants to be, you know, that that number one best-selling author. So, you know, it's that's part of this idea is, you know, you're not going to be probably the next James Patter James Patterson or you know J.K. Rowling, but you might, you know, especially as a business owner, maybe you have a book in you about, oh, say, how to use LinkedIn or you know negotiating. You meant you mentioned that you're, uh, you know, you've you've done a lot of very high stakes negotiations, so that's not going to be you know, a phenomenal bestseller, but it's, it could easily be a bestseller in the niche that you need it to be in. Absolutely. And it may be a part of your package of goods and services. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fact that you even have a book, we, we have, uh, I have a close friend who's a banker. He's the one that actually gave me some of the initial inputs to some of the components of this model, because 10 years ago he wrote and published a book. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Dave? His name's Dave. How did you do that? Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I went in here and I did this and I did that. And I'm like, why did you do that? And he's like, I give this away to my potential customers. And um, they read it. And then, so I don't know that he's ever sold a single copy, but it's helpful to him in his business. Right. It's It opens a door for him. Yep. You know, and, and I know a lot of people who want to be speakers or are speakers a book is a great way for an entree to that. You know, they can give it away. They can sell it. Um, you know, they're frequently when we're asked to speak, we're told there's no budget. But if we can say, hey, you know, that's cool, but I want to sell copies of my book in the back. 
Okay, that that might work really well. And it really does make a difference when you are approaching someone to, especially if you're wanting to be a speaker at a conference or a, you know, a seminar or something, to be able to say, and here's my book. And have it look like a true, <coughs> excuse me, very well-produced book as opposed to something that you somehow cobbled together. Right. And so another input into why I founded this company was that, you know, I, I mentioned early on, I... I decided I've got to write down some of these experiences mm-hmm. because there's a lot more. I had an experience in Alaska later. You can imagine or your your listeners can imagine that if you go through a situation like I did in which you're actually kidnapped, mm-hmm. um, it was domestic. It was my father, but still my mother had custody. He, he told the babysitter I'm taking Wade and his two sisters to the mall. He just didn't say it was a mall in Sweden. Yes, and he <laughs> didn't say when you'd be back. Right, and then... Uh, he told us we could take one thing to play with, and I was quite proud of being sneaky and taking my little dinosaur book and putting on my swimming goggles to read it through and thereby, you know, bending you. B- bending the one toy rule. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that was a significant victory at age nine, mm-hmm. but ultimately my dad won the war when he successfully got us into Sweden, oh. um, and we were then split up with three sets of aunts and uncles, and he went back to Alaska where he was working Mm -hmm. in order to earn the money to pay for what became an international court battle. Well, things got even uglier after that. And Mm -hmm. so fast forward, uh, you know, 10 years, and I'm a very rebellious teenager. Um, Just to put it mildly, some of the facts are in the book. I won't get into them. But now I'm in a high-speed chase with Alaska's finest state troopers in hot pursuit, Mm -hmm. and I'm running off the road at 120 miles an hour. Oh. And I went right through a light pole. Oh. And that light pole stood untouched. Holy cow. And the tracks were there in black and white, black Mm -hmm. rubber on the road leading up to one side and white tracks in the snow on the other. And when I got out of jail, Mm -hmm. I walked around and around and around those tracks because I could not believe my eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are some of just a few of the experiences in this book. And I wanted creative control of this book. So as I was writing it. You know, I didn't even really try to go the agent route. I just decided I needed to retain control, but I didn't want to self-publish because to me that there's a stigma to that because, mm-hmm. you know, any a dog can pretend to be a right. person on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> um, I wanted to so I established a legitimate publishing company to sort of hide behind that I was self-publishing. But then I actually ended up with a friend in Serbia who wrote, who had written a book of original history on the World War II era in which Admiral Horthy, um, who was the regent over Serbia, um, was, was outed as a war criminal. And there were various documented atrocities that took place under his watch. And this is controversial because this man is a national hero in Hungary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the first book I published. We toyed with calling it Hitler's Mentor. But figured that was a little bit too um, too sensational. But he he actually was somebody that Hitler looked up to, and he was the first anti-Semitic leader in Europe. <clears throat> anyway, the point is that was published in 2012. That was our first book, mm-hmm. and today. Because in 2015, the UN released its archives from World War II, that book is now celebrated as a, um, a significant contribution. So it right, puts right. the publishing company on the map. It's no longer just Wade's effort to hide the fact that he's self-published. Mm-hmm. My, my point is for anyone who publishes with us, 
They retain creative control. They can, you know, work with somebody who's really aligned with their success. But when they stand up and say, you know, I've published this with something or other publishing, it might sound like a funny title, but you think about it. It's very similar to the title Random House, right? I thought, mm-hmm. well, what is Random House? Was there a Mr. Random? Right. Or, or do or they, do they do publish random, random books? Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, that's right. part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Well, now, when someone actually does have a book published, is it something that is then on demand? Or um, you know, do they uh, – and, and I say this because I have a friend who many years ago self-published – and the only thing that she could do was, you know, she kind of, as, as you said, she created her own publishing company and then had like 30,000 copies of the book in her basement. And she did all of the fulfillment <clears throat> that, you know, not a lot of us have a lot of room in our basement for that. So how does this work? Right. It's, it's reminiscent of Herbalife or those other multi-level right. marketing mm-hmm. things where, you know, you're, you're the distributor, which means yep. they're making their money off of you buying a garage full of the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, that's, that's why that is. And that's right. the way that works. No, we're very different. Today's, again, technology advancements and other business advancements, um, we are print on demand for our print versions and they are available on six continents. Cool. So it's, it's no longer a negative thing. Now, Barnes and Nobles, for example, will still, you know, really make it difficult for you if you want to be an author at a book signing in a Barnes and Nobles because they won't take print on demand people. But the reason is not that there's anything bad about it. They want to force you to spend a whole bunch of money in ways that benefit them. Right. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Well, not only that. You know, they need to sh- they need to see that you're committed, right? The yes. di- I, I, there's this great there's this great story about the pig and the chicken at breakfast, you know, and the the chicken was involved in breakfast, but the pig was committed. You know, there's your steak, there's your there's your ham and eggs on the plate. The chicken was involved in that breakfast, but the pig was committed to breakfast. Mm-hmm. They want you committed to this book signing in ways that don't even benefit them that much, but cost you a whole lot of money to me. It's just like, it's a simple, easy way for them to determine whether you're quote serious or not. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing things that are not even to their advantage per se, but are, to, but that are to your disadvantage. And then if you do stock the book with them, um, they're going to take 50% and they're going to force you to accept returns, which means that you're going to pay for books that are returned to Barnes and Nobles and you're going to lose your shirt Mm-hmm. In order to be able to say, oh, I had a book signing at Barnes and Nobles. Right. So, you know, it's just the way these these industries are set up to protect those people who have made capital investments to make sure that they continue to earn a return on those capital investments. And other people are shut out and they have a very hard time making it work for them. So, so yes, we're print on demand. But we also then do Kindle, and we make that available through Kindle Direct. We have a relationship with Amazon, and we we primarily push through Amazon because their terms are generally very reasonable, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it's kind of the equivalent of you know New York Times bestselling author to say, hey, you're a bestseller on Amazon. Right. So if we drive all of our traffic through Amazon, um, we can achieve some of those results. The thing we're adding right now is audiobooks. We've just finished our first one. So we have print, Kindle, and we'll soon have our first audiobook so that 
again, we want to stand proudly next to any other full-service publishing house and say we have the same offerings. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and again, more than anything, it's to, to be legitimate. It's not to look legitimate. It's to be legitimate. You know, you're, you're not the person who's publishing, you know, in your basement. You know, it, it is truly a full-service publishing company. Well, and our brand is at stake, right? So we make sure we have excellent proofreading, excellent editing, cover designs. I mean, our covers are, I'm really proud of them. You, mm-hmm. you look at a bunch of books and ours just stand out. Um, and then you, you have them in your hand and they've got the, the publication pages set up right. We have, a, we have a book designer who has worked on New York Times bestsellers mm-hmm. to make sure that the interior of the book, when you send it out for a review, you're not going not gonna to get critiqued on being an amateur. Right. Well, and especially, you know, as we mentioned, with people who are using this book as an entree to be working with them. Um, I remember many years ago, someone sent me a book and and he said, oh, you know, I've just written this book. What do you think about it? I couldn't get past the first page, literally, because it was so poorly written. And, you know, it was typos, grammatical errors. The man obviously did not know an editor. And, you know, whether it was a good story or not, I couldn't get there because it, it really was just so poorly written. And uh, you know, and, and then I was stuck. You know, what did I tell him when he asked me about it? And I finally did say, you know, you, you might consider having an editor. And his response was, I proofread it myself. And then I thought, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to kind of not go into that danger zone. <laughs> and but, but it, it is it, you you have to have those other pieces. And it's not yourself. You know, we uh, I joke with people that when we proofread, we see what we want. We see what we think it says. And so we miss that there are typos, that there are grammatical errors, you know, all of these various things. And and so to to be able to work with someone who does that for a living is simply invaluable. Absolutely. And and again, in our model, um, over over time, when when they get these inputs into their work through the homework assignments, mm-hmm. um you know, people that are not willing to put in the effort to protect our brand as well as make themselves look better, um, you know, they, they drop out of our program and we're perfectly fine with that. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of a funny quote from my sister. It's actually a stepsister, but um, I, I really love this quote. Back in Alaska, um, I was wanting, hey, you know, her name's Julie. Hey, Julie, you know, come on, let's hurry up. Let's let's go. And she was standing in front of the mirror, um, you know, taking care of her hair or whatever and yeah. And she said, yeah, you're right. This is good enough for the guys I'm dating. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and, um, you know, there's there's that, right? If, if, it's, if it's good enough for you and it's full of typos, you know, more power to you, you know, publish it and give a copy to your grandma and, you know, whatever it is that you want to do with it. But you, you actually won't, um, you know, you won't get an invita- invitation to walk down the red carpet with that book. And again, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. You want it to be the best possible product that it can be. Yep. Right. You know, and, and now you have, you know, obviously fees that you charge for this, and, and we're not going to go into detail on those because there's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a complicated process, but it is something that people need to read. So I do encourage people that if you're interested in this, there's tons of information on the website. Uh, including pricing, but, you know, lots of other great information there. And so it's S-O-O-P-L-L-C dot com. And so please visit the website, and that way you can get all of this great information. 
Yeah, and let me make a comment on that. So we have a free and a premium approach, right? There are no, there are a number of free aspects to our the core program and pretty much everything I've been talking about here. It's all free. Mm-hmm. Um, the premium path does get you more personalized attention. So with the with the free path, you're essentially going to get a pass fail on the homework. Okay. And uh, without a lot of comments. And there's mm-hmm. some other nuances and differences. But with the premium path, which has a monthly or an annual um, subscription. Uh, you're going to get additional benefits, including, for example, we're working on a, a book idea trailer concept so that you have a book idea trailer, a trailer about your book that hasn't even been published yet that you can begin to use to gather votes. That will be available free to those who are on our premium path. You follow me? Or you could, you know, once we get it all set up, you'll be able to procure that as an ad hoc add-on. Um, you know, if you want to do that at a certain level. Um, but then we do also offer marketing packages, platform building packages for people who have not published or who have published somewhere else already. So existing mm-hmm. authors who want to, you know, who don't know how to market or promote their book or their own publisher is not doing that um, or they want additional help in doing it. Um, you know, we have those available as well that we built and designed for our own authors. And then we realized, wow, these are probably better value than anything else out there because obviously if we're spending the money on our authors we want it to be cost effective and actually deliver results why don't we make these available to people who have not published with us um, one of the ways that we can, one of the reasons we can offer free and and premium at such incredible value is because our revenues are not solely dependent on book sales. We also derive revenues through Google uh, AdWords, um, you know, through uh, marketing on our website. So we want lots of traffic to our site. And there are a number of there are a number of other ways in which we're we're like Facebook in that way. You know, we're building a big platform which has value in itself, whether we ever sell a book or not. And we then. Uh, can afford to continue to, to invest in the platform in ways that benefit everybody, the more people that we have use it. That's why we have a free model and always will have a free model. Right. You know, and, and so it could be that someone who is clearly just starting out, you know, and, and, and really thinking, oh, my gosh, is this something that I should do? The free model works absolutely perfect for them. You know, they're kind of dangling their toes in the water. And, you know, but but partially it's to determine if you know, and, and we've we've talked about this, are they really serious? Is something that they is this something that they want to do, and go forward with it? Um, you know, and and so that's great because you know they haven't invested you know thousands and thousands of dollars, but they're able to figure out okay, this is something I can do, or hmm, maybe not right now. So I'm a huge music fan, <clears throat> and um, those of my uh, of my. Uh, vintage will remember that mega hit by Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, the line, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. So we believe in that. So we want everybody to come and test us out, kick the tires, get involved. And there's no commitment either way mm-hmm. at those early stages. You can take what you've learned and built, which is significant. We give you a lot of value and you can walk away with it. You can publish with us somewhere else. We recently um, had a new customer coming to us to buy a marketing package who started with us with a book idea and then was so successful in promoting herself, she actually sold the film rights to her book before the book was even published. 
And now she's got a publishing contract with a niche publisher that she felt you know, more comfortable with for some reason and has now come back to procure marketing services for us. And of course, we're tickled pink that somebody um, understands and benefits from our approach, which is we're not trying to, you know, schnooker you into some deal that that is good for us and bad mm-hmm. for you. We want to create a platform where people can come and it's like a gold mine and they can dig for whatever value they want and then they can take what they've gotten and go somewhere else and, and use it to buy something with. And if they want to come get some, some diamonds as well, they can come back and get those from us. And, and it helps us because we're, we're, you know, I have a great story now I can tell about on the air. That's to plug her. Uh, that's Jennifer Irwin address the color of the sky. Hmm. Perfect. I love that. That sounds, that sounds, Ooh, that sounds like that's going to be a lifetime movie. Hmm. <laughs> But, you know, it, it is something where, you know, as you mentioned, and I love this, it's still your intellectual property. You know, there are so many of these little niche publishing companies where they own what you write. And, you know, and, and I've talked to people who have gotten themselves in deep you-know-what because they wrote a book. They had, you know, publisher XYZ publish it, and they didn't realize it meant publisher XYZ actually owned that book. And, you know, and, and they couldn't make revisions. The publisher could actually change who the author was. They could make revisions, all sorts of things. And so I love your model because it, it still allows the author to be in control. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it gets back to the chicken and the pig, right? What, does that benefit really the uh, publishing company? It actually doesn't. <clears throat> all they're doing is getting that person committed so that that person has no place else to go. I mean, that's really all they're doing. It's not actually helping them because they're not going to go necessarily do anything good with that book. No. And, and, you know, so, but just to be clear, when we do publish authors, we do take on certain rights. We right. assume certain rights, mm-hmm. but, but only, we explicitly spell out these are the rights that we assume for a duration of time mm-hmm. before they then revert back to the author at the end of the agreement. But the author retains the ownership of that intellectual property. In that sense, we license it for a period right. of time. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned that you're making an investment in them too. And so that's why it's perfectly understandable that there is this mutually beneficial arrange- arrangement. Right. We don't want, you know, the, the obviously we would go bankrupt if we didn't have that. And, you know, after all the investment we make, the author says, thanks, see ya. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, it, again, and that, that gets hammered out individually um, mm-hmm. with each author. We don't speak about the specifics of any individual contract, but generally speaking, um, you know, we license the rights to publish it in, in all formats mm-hmm. um, for a period of time. And, for example, with the film rights issue, um, we would, uh, you know, if the person has an interest in that, we would simply say, you know, here's what it would take for you to, to license or buy those rights back out of the contract. And, um, you know, then we want the author to be fully educated and informed and place whatever bets they want to place in terms of what they think they'll accomplish through us or on their own. Mm-hmm. And, and it's only possible through this extensive education, which, frankly, most people You know, it's difficult to educate people, right, Um, when there's a lot to learn. So we make sure that it's a slow, methodical education so that by the time we sit down and do a contract, the person's no longer a novice. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. You know, because it it is, it's very intimidating, you know, and and we're all thinking, oh, my gosh, contracts, legalese, I'm going to have to hire a lawyer. 
And so then we get frozen in that morass of I don't know what to do. And as you mentioned, you make it a process where you slowly walk us through it and then we understand it as we go. Yep. And we do absolutely recommend people get an attorney to review the contract, but they can then talk to the attorney because they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, now I want to deviate a little bit. We've we've talked a lot about this, and I love this subject. And again, we encourage folks to go to SOOPLLC.com for more information. But this kind of leads us into another one of the subjects that you have a great deal of experience with, and that's negotiation. Um, you've negotiated very, very large contracts. But, you know, for a small business owner, a $1,000 contract is the equivalent of, you know, a million dollar contract for somebody else. So how did you how did you even decide this was something that you wanted to do? Well, back when I was in Europe and I was uh, involved in the religious world and uh, before I was ordained into the ministry, I worked for a nonprofit foundation. And we were we were actually putting on religious events behind the Iron Curtain. Now, again, that dates me a bit, right? But um, it was at the end of that era. <clears throat> and what we were doing is we were um, working with the government tourist agencies to bring in large groups of people to celebrate these eight-day religious festivals. Now, these were technically not legal in Poland and Czechoslovakia. And I made trips to Hungary and Russia itself to negotiate these events they were technically not legal because religion was outlawed we were we were doing them because we had members and uh followers in some of those countries such as east germany who could not get visas to come out and celebrate with us in the west for these uh, annual holy days and fall fall celebrations that we had and so by bringing in large groups of people from all around the world into those countries, they loved the valuta, the Western currency, the hard currency. And so they turned a blind eye and it was the proverbial, you know, drink the vodka and smash the glasses in the fireplace kind of negotiation. But if anyone's seen Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks, that was kind of the world I was in. It was really super exciting. I mean, I loved it. And I did a little bit of smuggling that wasn't legal. And I had some really tense moments and I walked across Checkpoint Charlie and I was working with these these uh, agencies, government agencies in some very tense situations. I actually ended up in Leningrad. This is another one of those things that people kind of don't believe. I was in Leningrad during that time when Gorbachev was abducted and most Americans don't even remember that it happened. And I was working with a group of people at Radio TV Leningrad who were bringing in Western style programming during that time. An unbelievable moment in history. So that's where I got my first taste of this kind of negotiation. Now, how I ended up doing what I do today is a long, convoluted path. Um, it just—it's just the right thing for me to do. It's just the perfect way for me to use, you know, a lot of my talents and abilities in a way that does not necessarily come with the responsibility of of being a VP and managing a large organization. I get to sort of be at the rodeo and get on that bucking bronco over and over again and ride it and successfully, you know bring it home uh, in a way that is of great value to the company that I work for and also helps satisfy my need for, you know, personal fulfillment in my in, in working what might otherwise be boring uh, things. Right. Well, and the cool thing is having these, I'm putting this in my little air quotes, bigger jobs, as in corporate America, has allowed you to do these startups. 
so, you know, I, I love this concept because so many people think they have to do one or the other and you are um, able to do both. So how do you juggle that? Well, first of all, Kohl's is an amazing employer that, you know, really does have work-life balance. Life balance. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to talk about them, and I don't want to get into hot water with them, but, um, I mean, I just love working for them. So, you know, just an amazing company. Um, so that's the first thing, you know, does, you know, can you successfully keep, you know, keep your, your boss at your day job happy and fulfill everything that you need to there while devoting a certain amount of time to entrepreneurial efforts. But if you read, and, and by the way, I'm an avid reader, so I strongly recommend getting Inc. Magazine, maybe Fortune Magazine, Forbes, um, Fast Company. There are a number of other ones out there. I subscribed to all of them at various times. And, you know, I don't read every word, but I, but I read them regularly and flip through them to learn um, I mean, of course, I haven't. I, I went on to get an MBA in business, um, you know, and uh, when I was working with Deloitte, a management consulting firm. So it, it, it's the it's the problem solving that that I love. It's looking at it and figuring out how do we tackle this, how do we take what it is, solve the problems, and make it better um, than it is today. And you know, I, I approach it like a puzzle, and I don't know if that's answering your question. I kind of started to ramble, and I'm not really sure no, what you asked. Very interesting. That's okay. Um, um it, it is it is you know how do you match the the two kind of halves of your life so you know again if you're reading ink and fast company there's this concept called fast fail fast <clears throat> and the world you know we talked a little bit off the record about the churn in the retail industry and you know how amazon is the the 50 pound or 500 pound gorilla that's just right. disrupting everything and they they just bought whole foods market and And, uh, you know, other companies are shutting down their retail outlets. You know, that idea of of fast fail and acting like an entrepreneur and being agile. And, you know, that's really critically important. And and that's kind of the the buzz of being, you know, doing a little startup is, to your point, it's only a $1,000 contract, but we're kind of betting the company on it. Right. Well, and I think that's one of the things that so many people kind of forget is they should treat their little $1,000 startup like it's a million-dollar business. Um, you know, I remember many years ago when I was first deciding to leave corporate America and start my own company, I did both. You know, I, I was one of those that, you know, worked nights and weekends and, you know, during the day and all that because I was trying to do both things at the same time. And I met with a, a business coach, and she finally told me that I would not make Wise Women Communications be successful until I had to. You know, I was hanging on to that diving board as much as I possibly could. And, you know, and, and but the nice thing was I did have that benefit of being able to work at corporate America until I was ready to, to jump. But it, it does get tricky, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of times people, you know, they start up a business, you know, whatever it is, and they think, oh, I'll just use this for extra income. Okay, that's great. You know, or they think I can do it in my spare time. Again, that's great. But if they really want it to be a company, and maybe it is, you know, it's just going to, to, you know, put their kids through college and get them a nice retirement or, you know, buy them a vacation somewhere, whatever their goals are, until they treat it like it's the million dollar company, it's not going to be a million dollar company. Right. And I think the other, you're absolutely right. That's spot on. The, the other piece of that is certain specific skill sets, right? So financial acumen and the ability to put together a budget 
And no, you know, the, the lifeblood of that company is the money. And whether you're right. investing your own money in it as a startup or running it like a hobby, which is, by the way, perfectly acceptable. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, you might, you know, for whatever reason you're running it. But so for with something on the publishing, for, some, for example, I, I got to the point where we had to start doing these marketing packages because I needed to generate uh, an inflow of income that was more secure contracts, right? So we signed people up for these monthly contracts with the marketing mm-hmm. package and my group in the Philippine Philippines delivers it, and then the uh, you know it helps fund some of the in- investment in infrastructure that the team in India is doing. But I got to the point where okay, now that we have that income, I can I can afford to hire an an operations manager, because mm-hmm. you know obviously I can't afford to to put more of my time into it, given that I have other servant other people I have to serve, including my day job and my family. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I had to consciously think. Not not just from a from a you know business perspective of what we're accomplishing as a business, but the lifeblood, the finances, and get to the point where there was enough money coming in to pay for that operations manager to manage it, and um, that's now the, the the level that we're at, and I'm and I'm really excited about the fact that that operations manager can now do many of the things that I was no longer having time to do or becoming you know too much time for me. Um, delegate them off. She can be paid through the business and Mm -hmm. I'm now freed up to not have to do those things. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's something that so many business owners get caught up in is thinking they have to wear every single hat. And, you know, frequently, almost always, when you start a business, that is true. You know, you you have to be the chief cook and bottle washer. You are the CEO and you run the mailroom, you know, and you're the CFO and you're the admin assistant. I mean, all of those various things. But being able to reach a point where you can hire someone, whether it's a virtual assistant, a true employee, things like that, that just makes such a huge difference. And you know, I have two virtual assistants that I, I love working with. There are, you know, one's in Wyoming, one is in New Jersey. And, you know, we probably will never actually physically meet. But they are very valued team members. And but they free me up to do what it is that I need to be doing. And I think that's where so many business owners, they think, well, I can't spend that money. Well, but, you know, if, if you're not able to do what you need to do, then you're not going to make that money. Absolutely. And again, you, you've, you've brought up another huge point. The operations manager is virtual and it is not an employee. It is a contracted uh, for hire. Right. So it's it's freelance. And, um, you know, I could not remotely run this with employees right now. Will it get there? Yes. And if and when it does, then I'll probably have to give up my day job at that point. Oh, <laughs> You know, you'd be crushed. And and actually, I say that tongue in cheek because I do know that you love where you're working. But it would also be great to have this company that you now are totally responsible for. Absolutely. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and that is what's difficult in a lot of cases. I mean, that was that was part of the reason why I had trouble starting my own company. I liked where I was working. <laughs> I really liked the people I was working with. But I also knew that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing forever. So, you know, it was it was kind of one of those, what did I want to do when I grew up type of things. And, of course, you know, I think I go through that about every other year. Um, but, you know, it, it is something that people need to think about. You know, what do they want to do? And f- for many people, 
it's staying in corporate America. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, you know, there are other things that, that you might want to also explore doing. And there, there's a lot of people who are, you know, unemployed and entrepreneurial or, let's say, underemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point about, you know, writing books and, and all of these things, I hope that some of the experiences I've shared today, you know, have been helpful to some of your listeners in that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and for many people, I wonder how many of them are thinking, wow, I have a fiction book or, uh, you know, like your story is a nonfiction book, but it's not, you know, it's not a business book, which is what I typically talk about. So there's certainly a lot of things that so many people could be thinking about. You know, maybe it's a book on poetry. You know, there's there's so many things that you can do. And again, maybe you just want to have enough copies that you give everybody one for Christmas. Or maybe you want to parlay it into, you know, a $10,000 per gig speaking type of, of thing. So, you know, it's, it's it, the, the cool thing is that through your platform, people can do that. Absolutely. Well, we've got, a, you know, just a little over five minutes left. So what other tips do you have for business people who are thinking, what the heck do I do? How do I get my story out there? Um, or maybe not business people, just anybody. Well, so, you know, I, I'm also a family man, and that's very important to me. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what, you know, a cautionary tale is that many, many entrepreneurs are um, perhaps a little bit too individualistic, and they and they go it alone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, tr- go to the extra effort, and it's not always easy. But, you know, those that are close to you, tr- you know, try to... Try to, you know, involve them, at least keep them informed and educated and supportive of, mm-hmm. of what it is you're doing. I, I kind of feel like I have to throw that out there. I have right. so much support from my wife and family in the craziness that I get myself involved in because I, you know, I, I also have to go to the effort to make sure that they know how important they are, even as these other things, you know, begin to become all consuming. So I'd be I'd be remiss, I guess, if I didn't say that. Um, the other thing is, you know, you, you you do have to believe in yourself. You have to mm-hmm. be confident. You have to go out and take risks. Um, and you will make mistakes and you will uh, end up getting bruised and battered along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll have to check in with yourself and with those around you at various stages to go forward with you with your uh you know, with your venture. Um, mm-hmm. But what I, what I tell all the authors in our program, I think is generally applicable. Look, once you actually publish your book, you're only at base camp of Mount Everest. And, you know, you thought it was a long, hard thing to get that publishing contract with us and get mm-hmm. to 2000 votes. The journey is just beginning. And I, starting a business is like that. It will be far more work um, and more investment than you probably imagine at the beginning. So you got to do a little bit of counting the cost, and you got to right. believe in yourself and never give up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and as you mentioned, a big part of that is surrounding yourself with people who support you, whether that's mastermind groups, you know, your family, friends, all of those things. And I think that is one of the things that is very hard about you know when you are a small business owner, an entrepreneur. You're in your basement. You're in your spare bedroom. You're, you're very isolated. And that's what I love about being able to have communities of people that are supporting you. You know, when and whether, you know, and, and to me, in a lot of cases, that is social media, you know. And, and so it's, you know, I think that's probably one of the things that we really want people to remember is you don't have to go it alone. 
And uh, our, our soup platform is that we're building a community of authors, helping other authors. We encourage cross-pollination of ideas, what's working for you. Um, you know, so to your point, yeah, that's really important and critical to the success of our model and those that participate in it. Right. Yeah, because it, it can be very very isolating, especially being an author, um, you know, and, and a, you, know, you have you have to be isolated to write. Um, you know, very rarely is it somebody who can sit in a, a room full of people and chunk out a novel, you know, or a next bestseller. They've got to isolate themselves. They have to have that quiet time. You know, I know people who, uh, when they are ready to, to truly sit down and write, they actually go stay in a hotel so they don't have distractions. Um, I interviewed Peter Shankman several times, and but he does this thing that just fascinates me. He goes on an overseas flight. And that's where he writes is when he is in the air, um, you know, and, and so he gets numerous chapters written, has, you know, a day of downtime wherever he's flown to. And then he's got 12, 14 hours on the way back for, for a lot of people. That's not going to work because we do have those other things called family and, and another job and things like that. But, you know, it, that's things where also your community that you're building can help. They can give you suggestions on things like that. For me, it was when uh, our first daughter was born, and um, you know, by the, the by the second time she woke up and woke mm-hmm. us up, I couldn't go back to sleep. So right. I got in the habit of you know staying up from one to five, mm-hmm. uh, spending four hours writing on my book, uh, you know, virtually every night for a period of several months, and that's how I got through the first draft. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 you have to make it work in the way that works for you. Um, you know, for some people it is, you know, I, I knew somebody who actually wrote their book on their iPhone and I'm thinking, okay, well, no, <laughs> I couldn't do that, but it worked for them. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it is about finding what works for you and your model obviously lets people do that, you know, and, and, but, and, and again, I love the fact that you've got homework, you know, you're walking people through the process. They're thinking, oh, you know, does, is this a good idea? Is it not? What am I supposed to do? And you're providing all this help and guidance along the way. Yep. <clears throat> Self-service and uh, at your own pace. Really works. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and for some people that, you know, they're going to churn out something really fast. And for some people not. I mean, you know, at War and Peace wasn't written overnight. Um, you know, and, and I don't, how long did it take them to write? I don't know, but I do. I really digress there. Holy shit. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it is about doing this in a way that works for you. And that's exactly why you founded your company. So again, Wade, tell us how they find the information about that and how they connect with you online. So soup, LLC.com, uh, S O O P L L C.com. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me directly, it's Wade. W-A-D-E at soupllc.com. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon. I'm, I'm the only Wade Franson in the Googleverse. Uh, it doesn't sound like an unusual name, but I can't hide anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's a series of uh, menu links at the top of our website uh, that you can look about the about, frequently asked questions, publish with us, publish your book idea. Um, there's a lot of information there to read through, and hopefully authors aren't afraid of reading a little bit. Um, we find that it really does educate you to figure out what path to go, and then we try to provide you a lot of options. Perfect. Well, and you've got your social media links there. I noticed that earlier. So, you know, I liked the page and followed you on Twitter and all those various things. Wonderful. Great. 
Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having an absolutely fabulous time talking with Wade Franson today. And until next week, everyone have a great time. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.